0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, A People's History, is now streaming on Hulu. Hi, everybody.
1: This is Jeannie and...
0: Antonio. We are Julia's parents calling from Brazil. This
2: week on the show... Co host of NPR's Code Switch podcast, Gene Demby.
1: And NPR politics editor, Arnie Seipel. Okay, let's
2: start the show.
3: Oh, it's so, <laughs> it's so cute,
4: right? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Aww.
4: From NPR, I'm Julia Ferlan in for Sam Sanders while he is taking great selfies on vacation. It's been a minute. Congrats to everybody for making it to the weekend, or <sighs> maybe it's just another day at work, who knows? Aren't my parents cute, you guys? Yeah, oh my so god, So it. adorable. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to be here with you two in beautiful D.C. Likewise. The yeah. voices you're hearing are my NPR brethren, Gene Demby, <laughs> co-host of NPR's Code Switch podcast. Code Switch, of course, is NPR's team focused on race and identity. Hi, Gene. Hey,
2: homie. So good to be here with Ooh, you.
4: This is very exciting. Also here with Arnie Seipel, NPR politics editor. Hi, Arnie. Hey. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. So, the song we're listening to is my jam of the moment. Do you know this song?
2: I don't. Uh, Is this a little song?
4: Yes. Okay. Let's listen a little bit. By Lizzo, who, if you don't know, Lizzo, welcome. This is a great day for you. You're <laughs> getting a very big gift in so your life. So I don't
1: listen to enough Lizzo music, but Lizzo is one of my favorite people on Instagram. Yes, yeah. you get to follow her at yes. LizzoBeEaten. That's right.
4: <laughs> <laughs> she does. She's like a, a flautist. She has so many incredible songs about basically about like loving yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's a very good way to start the day. I, I did. I listened to it before I started recording today. So the reason we're talking about Lizzo today is that she released a song this week with Missy Elliott, and it's called Tempo. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic. You know, it's really dirty, though. It's really like you can't play it on the radio.
2: Spotify recommended it to me for my gym workout list, and I was like, I don't know. Did you listen? No, I did not. Mm -hmm. Why is Tempo dirty?
4: I mean, it just says a lot of words that you can't say on the radio. It's dirty because it's great. And it's great because it's dirty. Yes.
2: Why did Spotify <laughs> recommend it to you? I have no idea. I must have a great dirty
4: workout playlist.
5: <laughs>
4: let's start the show as we always do. Each of us will describe the news of the week in three words. Ready, boys? Yep, let's do it. Arnie, You're up first. My
1: three (laughs) words are outside the box. Oh, what does that mean? in the political world, we are already in the midst of the 2020 campaign. And this is the week where supporting the Green New Deal, supporting Medicare for all, those were not big enough, bold enough ideas for the Democrats running. We're going to do away with the Electoral College. (laughs) We're going to make the Supreme Court have 15 justices on it. (laughs) We're going to maybe start running with a vice presidential running mate. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of this started on Monday with Elizabeth Warren. She was doing a CNN town hall, and she endorsed getting rid of the Electoral College, which is actually a popular idea. Mm -hmm. If you ask people, should we get rid of the Electoral College, clear majority of Americans support that. In both Mm -hmm. parties. In both parties. uh, Democrats a little more, because, of course, in the last 20 years, Democrats have (laughs) lost two presidential elections where they won the popular vote. Um, And a lot of other candidates immediately jumped onto this. There's also this discussion now this week, all of a sudden, about expanding the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which is another issue where Republicans have a clear advantage in the current political climate. And mm-hmm. the Constitution doesn't say how many justices could be on the Supreme Court. The president could nominate a whole bunch. But there have been all these ideas about how to do it. Do you have like five Republicans, five Democrats, five in the middle? Uh-huh. So none of this really has a plan to get done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but right. there's a lot of signaling going on. And... To me, one of the really interesting things is just coming out of 2016, there was so much discussion about how candidates on the left need to be for big, bold ideas. But I just don't know if you're looking at winning back the Midwest, if these are the issues that are necessarily going to draw voters to your side. And I think that's what people are dealing with a lot right now.
2: So why do you think those issues have so much traction right now?
1: I think those issues have a lot of traction just because blowing up the system seems to be the thing that every candidate, even if they don't actually want to blow up the system, is trying to signal that they want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, we've said this time and time again that after 2016, the whole party sort of moved to where Bernie Sanders was, whereas Bernie Sanders used to be on the fringe. That's now the mainstream. But the thing that he says, and he's right about this, if you look at the poll numbers, at least, is that large majorities of Americans support Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Majorities of Americans are really fired up about climate change. They not, might not necessarily know all the details of the Green New Deal, and it may not be totally fleshed out. But right. you can, if you're trying to argue that you both are for bold ideas and that these are things that people will vote for, mm-hmm. you have data you can point to to back that up.
2: Is it even running to this? I mean, is it even running to the left if you're running on these ideas, like you said, that a clear majorities of people are f- in favor of, right? I mean... I think it's still running to the left, okay?
1: Because these are still. I it's mean, like,
4: let's not get lost here. It's definitely still left.
1: The electoral college and Supreme Court are one thing, but when you're talking about the Green New Deal or you're talking about Medicare for All, you're talking about a massive government intervention. Yeah. Do
4: you see that this like centrist moderate approach? Um, do you Do you see like the the difference between the centrist people and the left-ish people?, uh, do you see that gap widening in the next couple of months? like as we we are, I counted almost six hundred days out from the presidential election.
1: I don't know if it's gonna widen. I think it's gonna become a lot more visible, though, just because we haven't had any debates yet.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> We've a long way to go. And June, when we have that first debate, that is when everything is gonna really explode.
4: Um, okay. I'll go next. My three words are, o buraco é mais embaixo, which could be more than three words, but you won't know because it's in Portuguese. (laughs) But what it really means is the hole is much further down, which is this amazing Brazilian saying. Brazilians have so many good sayings. Uh, I'm Brazilian. But the um, it basically means that, like, there is much more than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. And it's referencing uh, Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, who was visiting this week, uh, visiting President Trump. They had a press conference. They did a few photo ops. They sort of reveled in the things that they have as shared visions. Um, Bolsonaro is a pretty far-right candidate. Um, and... Trump and Bolsonaro talked about trade, They talked about national security, they talked about Venezuela. But the reason that I want to talk about the visit is that Trump and Bolsonaro are often compared as, you know, sort of twins in this world. Um, a lot of the American headlines call him the Trump of the tropics and i don't know how you guys feel about this but i i feel like when the us media covers somebody from outside the us oftentimes what happens is they have to filter it through americanness mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. for like americans to care about it um, what do you think? Do you agree? Do you see? Have you seen this happening? Oh, I mean, oh, mean yeah. in terms of Bolsonaro <laughs> yeah. or just
2: in general? In general. I mean, every time there's a plane crash, there's like 300 people died, including three Americans. Right. right. Yeah. Right. And right. It's a right. thing that always happens is like this is the the, the hook <laughs> for American audiences. Right. Well, I'm actually curious what distinguishes Bolsonaro from Trump.
4: There are a lot of similarities. I'll start with those. I mean, he's a far right candidate. Mm. He's said like super inflammatory things about women and LGBTQ folk and immigrants. Um, He came to power largely using social media. But Brazil is a really big country in and of itself. It's the fifth largest country in the world and it has the ninth largest economy in the world. Um, And Bolsonaro has a large part of the entire Amazon rainforest to contend with. And he's thinking of privatizing that and using it for things like mining and agribusiness and that's not something that just affects Brazil. That affects the entire world. The rainforest is considered the lungs of the earth. Whereas Trump is thinking of drilling in national parks, and that's not exactly the same scale. You know what I mean? Arnie, what do you think? Is it's not new for Trump to like uplift a guy like Bolsonaro. No, right? <laughs> no, no, no.
1: And what's interesting to me about that is, you know, we often talk about how Trump has this affinity for strongmen, whether it's mm-hmm. Putin, whether it's Erdogan in Turkey, whether it's Bolsonaro. Um, And so that creates a fear in a lot of people here that Trump wants to be a strongman and Mm. would love to consolidate power. Mm. Um, And I think that's probably subsided a bit since the midterms. But what's interesting to me about the political dynamics is that while the United States has not really faced having to deal with autocracy, Mm. Brazil had a military dictatorship oh, for yeah. many, many years mm-hmm. and it wasn't that long. Years, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It wasn't
4: when Bolsonaro was getting elected, the like fake news that was going around on WhatsApp, there were like pro dictatorship memes. There were memes that said, you know, like, in twenty odd years of dictatorship, we didn't have any corruption and now look at us. And these are things that people were taking in and really like they were so against corruption that they voted for somebody who has the possibility to make some big changes.
2: (laughs) Do you think it's a function of, like, the way that life is playing out in the United States? I mean, we have, like, historically low uh, incidences of violent crime in this country right now. Whereas Brazil, you know, has, you know, some of the highest homicide rates in the world. Yeah. I'm not trying to justify this, but you can um, understand why people would maybe be like, find um, some <laughs> sort of autocracy. Or at least there's a, a person who was like, we want law and order by any means. Right. You can see why people might find that attractive. Absolutely.
4: And also, it, um, a lot of, like, wealthy folks in power, they remember what it was like to have a dictatorship. And they're like, well, you know, the corruption's clearly not working. Let's try this other thing. Mm-hmm. Basically... My three words are meant to point to the fact that Bolsonaro is more than just the Trump of the tropics. I want us to take Bolsonaro seriously as his own figure and and not necessarily always through a Trumpian lens, because I think it helps us as Americans to connect to a whole person. (laughs) And, and to learn about another country and its history and how, how we got here, you know? Yeah,
1: And I think lumping all these figures together also makes it really easy for people to dismiss them. Like,
4: mm-hmm. oh, it's
2: Trump. Okay, I get it.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. I want us to dig deeper. That's my that's my goal. Let's all dig deeper. Gene, what are your three words?
2: Uh, my three words are uh, March is madness. Uh, so, <laughs> as you know, um, as you've probably seen when you turn on your TV at any, any point during the day, um, it's the NCAA tournament. Uh-huh. So... The NCAA, which is the uh, organizing body that oversees college athletics for yeah. thousands and thousands of universities and colleges all over the country, is set to make a billion dollars from the NCAA tournament. With a B. With a B.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that covers the entire operating budget of the NCAA. It is literally their bread and butter. Um, uh-huh. And the NCAA has been doubling down on calls to pay student athletes. Just as an aside, the president of the NCAA makes uh, $2 million a year. Anyway. Um, wow. Wow. And if you watch this tournament, you'll see these commercials just randomly, like in between, like Coca-Cola commercials, commercials for the NCAA in which there are people sort of saying, like, I'm a student-athlete, I'm a student-athlete. Right. So what is a student-athlete? Well, it turns <laughs> out, uh, in the 1950s, there was a football player at the University, university of Denver who was seriously injured in a game, uh, and he sued the university for workers' compensation. Yeah. And so the NCAA created this term called student-athlete to designate these people as not employees of the school. So, the Oh, teacher, so it's like a marketing oh. thing
4: or like sort of a branding choice to be like, well— you are a student athlete.
2: It's a marketing choice and it's a sort of a legal distinction, right? Yes. But in so many ways they function like employees, right? They sign you sign a letter of intent mm-hmm. which says I'm going to go to this university to play basketball. Um and that means that if you switch universities, you have to sit out for a year, which is essentially an compete clause, right? Mm-hmm. A letter of intent is essentially uh, a, a employment contract. Um and then the stuff that sort of uh makes this even thornier is that the, so the demographic makeup of college basketball and basketball, right. which are the two sports that drive all of the revenue in college sports. So the,
4: So basically like all of the people that are watching it and making money on it.
2: Are white they are what? They are whites. White. white. Uh, and all uh, so fifty five percent of football players are black and fifty six percent of uh, basketball players are white. Black as well. This is at the Power Five schools. These are the big conferences, like any name brand mm-hmm. school you've heard of, mm-hmm. is in one of these conferences, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at those Power Five schools, though, only 2% of the student population at those schools is black men, right? So you have this weird thing mm-hmm. happening where at any given time, the most prominent uh, student at any of these colleges, the most prominent undergraduate student at any of these universities is a black dude, even though black dudes are basically non existent on these campuses, right? And so this issue gets louder every year. And just to complicate this a little bit more, the other sort of weird thing about, and we were paying attention to sort of admissions last week, right? The, the sort of right. media scandal. Right? It's
4: interesting how this dovetails with the, the college scams.
2: The weird paradox here is that we think of, if you think of a random college athlete, you're probably thinking of a black dude. Well, most college athletes, when you leave away the two big revenue generating sports, football and, and men's basketball, and you turn to all the other sports on a college campus, right? You turn to tennis and hockey volleyball. And, and volleyball, right? <laughs> Rugby, field hockey, et cetera, et cetera. Those sports are populated by white folks. And so at elite universities, athletics is the way that you sort of hold aside spots for white students. And of course, and there's been studies showing that if you are an athlete in one of those sports, you have a much more likely, you're much more likely to be accepted into one of these universities. And so there's all this stuff about (laughs) college education (laughs) and compensation uh, and labor um, that is all wrapped up in the NCAA tournament. And so it's just like every year we're watching this, is like, oh, like what are we doing right now? And I was going to say, going back to the college admission
1: scam, because I just can't stop I know. thinking about it. Right. Um, but the, obviously money was a big part of that because they were bribing coaches. Mm-hmm. And when you looked at the list of coaches, it was tennis, it was sailing. Exactly. <laughs> it was not football and basketball. Absolutely. Those coaches at these big schools are not hurting for salary. Absolutely. But they saw this weakness that they could exploit in the, in the sports that aren't getting a lot exactly. of money.
4: Oh, we should say that this month, a federal judge ruled that student-athletes can be offered more education-related scholarship money, but they still can't be paid. There's a wonderful Code Switch episode that you should listen to. I've listened to it twice now. Oh, thank you. It's called The Madness of March. I highly recommend everybody listen to it. Thank you. I'm not even appreciate a sports fan, mm-hmm. but I was really interested in it.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. I didn't pay her to say that this time. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Time for a break. When we come back, I don't know what your Instagram-targeted ads look like, but mine are filled with spandex. I spoke to a writer who tried for a month to live the perfect Insta lifestyle portrayed by a popular athletic brand. I'm Julia Furlan, keeping the seat warm for the inimitable Sam Sanders. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card.
3: And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. On the new episode of Invisibilia, our relationship to uncertainty. What do you do when you have no idea what to do?
0: Maybe everything that we've thought was right is wrong. Maybe we're living life upside down. I, I, I don't know.
5: That's up next on Invisibilia.
4: We're back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Julia Furlan, in for Sam Sanders, coming to you from the nation's capital with our guests this week, Gene Demby, co-host of NPR's Code Switch podcast. Woo. Hi, Gene. What's up, homie? And NPR politics editor Arnie Seipel. Hi, Arnie. Hey. Arnie, Gene, do you ever see an Instagram post of somebody maybe like hiking or doing yoga or having like a casual picnic with friends. Yeah,
2: it's usually Sam Sanders.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, agree. And suddenly feel like you should be doing those things. Isn't
2: that the point of Instagram? (laughs) Yeah,
4: like everybody looks so carefree. Their skin is great. Um, So... The pressure that these posts create is something that Gia Tolentino wrote about in a recent piece for The New Yorker. She profiled a company that you might have heard of called Outdoor Voices. It's an athleisure brand. Their entire philosophy is focused on community and doing things. Like, that's the hashtag that they use on social media. Have you guys ever used that hashtag? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Cool, cool, cool. Me neither. Um, Uh Uh-huh, sure. (laughs) Shut up. Shut up. Gia gave herself over to the Outdoor Voices brand lifestyle, and some of her takeaways say a lot about the moment that we're living in when it comes to marketing and social media
5: and the societal pressures on women. So Outdoor Voices, um, you know, many New York listeners would probably know them by the tote bags that became really ubiquitous on the subway um, a couple of years ago. Yeah, like you said, they're an athleisure brand. And what, so athleisure, it really, you know, as a term, it really came into being with Lululemon about a decade ago. It's just workout clothes that you could wear all day long and you don't look quite as dumb as if you were <laughs> just wearing, you know, ratty basketball shorts and uh, t-shirt from high school to the gym. Yeah. So Outdoor Voices, you know, it's not necessarily about looking really hot in your yoga pants. It's about this sort of well-rounded, holistic lifestyle improvement that has become um, a thing for many women of the millennial generation. Yeah. And so the clothes are really, um, they're colorful, they Instagram well. You know, the <laughs> idea is that it's, it's about sort of joy and, you know, ease and moderation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And color blocking. Yeah.
4: So Outdoor Voices has this slogan, which is doing things is better than not doing things. And it feels like it speaks so much to this current moment in time where we're working so hard and trying to keep everything together. Tell me
3: more.
5: Yeah, right. I get why that slogan is appealing, right? Because it's it's very inclusive. Right. And the idea is that anything you like to do is worth it and that you should be proud of it and that you should take joy in it, right? Yeah. But that is the message of our age, where every last thing we do can be monetized by some technology company or another. Um, I think doing things is always more monetizable than not doing things. But these days, you know, and to a lot of people of my generation, more monetizable and better are kind of inseparable concepts um, at a really genuine sort of spiritual way,
4: um, which
5: is something that I find myself writing about over and over in different ways.
4: There's like a dark capitalist shadow that you can choose to see and sort of engage with and 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 like give yourself over to or you can say like I just really like taking pictures and looking beautiful and
5: sharing that with my friends like what's wrong with that right it's two sides of the same thing absolutely and they're inseparable I mean right and the idea of you know whether something like this is kind of making this advanced capitalist world easier or further entrenching it as the basic foundation of the way we live. Is, right. You know, you can really go back and forth on it. And I think that in general, Outdoor Voices, they're, it's like Glossier, like another millennial-centered brand that also is big on community and community specifically as it manifests on Instagram. And in a way that really takes a lot of long-standing expectations of women and yes. really systematizes them on these platforms. And this has, again, been like a paradigm that women have been living under ever since there have been women's magazines to advertise <laughs> beauty products to us, right? Totally. Um, it's not new. But it's not new at all. But what is new, right, is the pocket-based, ubiquitous quantification of the process, right? Yeah. Um, and the real, the real personalization of it.
4: So if we take a step back and look at at this as a sort of societal element. What do you think this is telling us?
5: Well, one of the things that I have been thinking about a lot in general is that, um, there's this idea that beauty for women comprises this third shift, right? Like aside from women doing more domestic work, having more to catch up with in the office, there's this idea that beauty itself is this third area of mandatory work that men don't have. Right. And I've been thinking a lot about how the, you know, the advent of mainstream feminism has changed that. And it's not really the lingo of the marketplace now to talk about becoming more beautiful in such an obvious way. The, the logic that's taken over is sort of one of lifestyle, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's one of optimizing your lifestyle, which to me in a lot of ways, you know, it's, it's better and it's also worse to me because it's more inescapable. There's no writing it off. Like it's very easy to say, you know, I don't need to have six-pack abs just because this Under Armour ad, you know, has someone with six-pack abs in it, right? It, um, it's a lot harder to say I don't need – to look carefree and beautiful in the sun, mm-hmm. uh, you know like that 's the new lingo of it, and it's it 's hard to say no to this idea of an improved and you know seemingly happier life
4: totally um. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like to live the actual like outdoor voices doing thing <laughs> mindset? You did it for over yeah. a month. And I feel like you had moments oh, where you God. were like walking towards it so happily. And then there were moments where you were like, kind of repulsed. Tell me about it.
5: Um, so, you know, t- t- like I said in the article, like I exercise regularly, um, not enthusiastically, but regularly. But I, you know, wear crappy like um, sale stuff from old Navy. Of course. Um, um, you know, I'd, I'd never bought anything that was expensive. Um, but I was like, okay, you know, for research, got to try it on. And so I go to the store and I start trying the stuff on. And I was like, I went into a fugue state. It was so flattering. Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, holy, sh-. you know, it was like I, and I just all these visions as soon as I tried this stuff on for the first time, like a vision of myself as one of these women, you know, just like live streaming myself while I'm jogging, you know, Absolutely. something that I would literally never do. I haven't gone for a run in five years, but all of a sudden I was like, it seemed possible, you know, like there's a concept called enclosed cognition, where if you put on, let's say, a lab coat, and you're told it's a lab coat, you will perform better at solving a math problem. Like there's a real thing that works that way. And um, (laughs) I felt it immediately. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to adopt the doing things mindset, I'm going to work out as much as I possibly can and feel really great about it and wear these clothes. And like, on the one hand, I felt amazing. And then I felt conflicted about it, right? Because it was just me accruing more advantage to myself in a life that already <laughs> contains plenty of it. And um, you know, it's a real luxury to have time to work out. You know, you have to have a lot of resources to be able to accrue more, and that's just how it is with everything in life, but that's how it is with beauty, that's how it is with wellness.
4: Well, um I just I really I want you to know that I'm the kind of person who tried to take a 305 Miami dance class and I didn't realize until the class started that it was all in black lights, and I was wearing an old, ratty white t-shirt and white sneakers. and oh my Everyone God, glowing. <laughs> it was it's in black. So bad. I was like a Macy's <laughs> parade balloon, like floating behind the class. Was it a good class though? Uh,
5: it was great. I had a great time. Yeah, dance classes are fun. You know, like they're not wrong that uh, doing things with other people is more fun than doing the one you own. You know, just like, and then it gets refracted through Instagram, and it's so confusing. Yeah.
4: <laughs> well, listen, I am with you. In the tailspin and happy to I'm talk so to you glad. anytime it's, i'm so glad
5: yeah
4: <laughs> <laughs> thanks again to gia tolentino whose work i've been following for so long she's amazing it, yeah i know she's it like did.
2: one of the automatic if i see her byline i will read her piece absolutely yeah. about
4: yeah. absolutely anything i'm back here with co-host of npr's code switch podcast gene Demby, and npr politics editor arnie seipel boys all due respect, but there is absolutely no way that you experience this outdoor voices Instagram pressure in the same way that women do. But I want to get a sense for how you actually do experience that. Um, do you feel a pressure to perform or like look fantastic?
1: Oh yeah, I mean most <laughs> most of the paid ads that I see on Instagram are for athletic wear. Yep. With oh yeah. Muscular fit, really buff dudes. Is it mm-hmm. like spandex? No, it's a lot of shorts. There's Lots like of huge. Shirts. There's a huge men's athletic shorts market out there. Yes. But that's often what I'm getting targeted with. Um, Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You too, Jean.
2: Yeah, same. Literally the same stuff.
4: Is there like a carefreeness about it also? Because that—that's the thing that really gets me. Is the effortlessness of these skinny-thick hiking goddesses, you know, marching around LA with their dog, and the, there's like a performed simplicity about it that really—that's the thing that really gets me.
2: We were uh, we coastwatch did a retreat out in LA. A couple weeks ago, and uh-huh. so we, my friends were out there, and I they were like, Let's walk up the, to, to Runyon Canyon because you need to see this. Um, and I was like, What are you talking about? And so we went up Runyon Canyon, and it was literally like no. every 100 feet, there was some woman like, like in the thing, in the thing, doing the, the thing, skinny, uh, thick, skinny, thick, like doing
4: hiking the thing goddesses
2: with several people around her taking pictures while oh. they like posed. And aside
1: from the image of it, there's also in some ways the reality of it which is something that my friends and I have talked about before is sort of the gamification of wellness Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and all the trackers and all these things you can do where it's like (laughs) I've got my Apple Watch on it's telling me to stand up, we're almost at the end of the hour Um, but it's all these things (laughs) to like unlock achievements and all and it's motivating, Mm -hmm. my Apple Watch broke for a few months and I gained some weight (laughs) it wasn't forcing me to stand up and walk my dog for 10 more minutes and all these things Mm -hmm. Um, but you gotta spend you know, hundreds of bucks to do these things to help you stay fit. Yeah, Yeah, there's
4: a money element. My wrists are free of any sort of tracker. You are free. I track with my heart, okay?
2: (laughs) But do you know your heart rate? That's the thing. No, no,
4: I don't know anything. It's fine. I'm fine. Fine. Doing great. Okay, it's time for a break. When we come back, everybody's favorite game, Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR.
3: What's unique about the human experience, and what do we all have in common? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on TED Radio Hour, we go on a journey through the big ideas, emotions, and discoveries that fill all of us with wonder. Find it on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: We're back. You're listening to "It's Been a Minute" from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Julia Furlan. In for Sam Sanders, he's having a great time on vacation. You can check his Instagram. I'm here with our guests this week: Gene Demby, co-host of NPR's Code Switch podcast. Hi, Gene. What's up, homie? And Arnie Seipel, NPR Politics Editor. Hi, Arnie. Hi. Now it is time for a game. Yes. We call it "Who Said That? That." Who said that? I love it. Here's how it works: I share a quote from the week, and you guys have to guess who said that, or at least the story it refers to. Just shout it out if you think you know, and the winner gets (laughs) nothing—nothing at all. And the rules are a little (laughs) loose. (laughs) 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 That's right. Here is a quote. Okay. I see a couple players. I don't want to say names. They play video games during the game. Who said that? Oh. This is Gene's hometown baseball team.
2: Oh, was it Bryce Harper?
4: No. Wait, the
2: Phillies weren't playing well, uh-huh, and they uh-huh. were. They. I forget who it was, but he ended up. Did he break the the TV? Did he fi- end up finding? Yes.
4: TV? Oh, very proud of Eugene. That's, that's
2: not fair, though. Right? So, I mean, it was like, it's Phillies. It's like, whatever. No. And if the Phillies can afford
1: Bryce Harper, they can buy a <laughs> new <the laughs> TV. <laughs> let's face <laughs> it. Right. right.
4: Yeah. This baseball player shares a name with the singer Carlos Santana and oh. got so angry watching his Phillies teammates playing the video game Fortnite that he smashed the TV with a bat. That <sighs> is the story.
2: But the Phillies sucked. And it was like, yo, like... <laughs> They're really good at Fortnite. (laughs) (laughs) Baseball games are really long. It's like, yo, if you're not. They are. Season's really long. Exactly.
4: Exactly. Fortnite is also long. It's forever. That's what it takes forever. Do you play
2: Fortnite? Is this a. a...
4: No, I know of Fortnite. (laughs) I have a nephew. He's 11.
2: Mm.
1: Same. (laughs) I also have a nephew who is 11. Yeah, I just want to relate. And I I don't really want to know. I try
4: so hard. Um, Okay. The next quote. Sleep and I broke up a few nights ago. I'm dating. Coffee now. She's hot.
1: Cory Booker. This (laughs) is Cory Booker over and over again because Cory Booker has been tweeting this same joke out for 10 years. I know.
4: Yeah, it's basically, it's this Twitter thread that surfaced this week by a writer named Anna Fitzpatrick who found like a dozen instances of Cory Booker making this one joke about how he's dating coffee and she's hot.
1: My question is, did anybody ask Rosario Dawson I about know, I right? How does know. she feel about...
4: Yes, Cory Booker and Rosario Dawson are an item. Yeah. I feel like Rosario would say, like, hey, Cory, it's time to delete some of these tweets, okay? I feel like she has a better sense of humor than that, right? I'm not going
1: into Cory Booker's love life. i <laughs> not going there. Okay,
4: we've got one point for each of you. This is the final quote.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Quote, This is a crowning glory of all those years in the pigeon sport. The icing on the cake. What? (laughs) The pigeon Um, sport? This is a crowning glory of all these years in the pigeon sport, the icing on the cake.
2: There's so Mm. much happening in those
1: (laughs) things.
4: So this is about a special pigeon named Armando, who was just purchased for... 1.4 1.4 million dollars. A pigeon? A pigeon. Yes, the quote is from Joel Verschut, who is the seller of the pigeon. Armando is a racing pigeon. He's, like, okay. extremely fast for a pigeon. Though, you know, like, I love all pigeons. It's fine. They're ratty. They look weird. They have, like, bizarre habits. But, like, Armando... I don't know how I would feel about paying So, wait, 1. was this, 1. like, the
2: Pigeon Olympics?
1: It's, like, a, it's right. a
4: racing pigeon, like, for the sport of pigeon racing.
2: Wait, so... <laughs> where are there several <laughs> pigeons are racing like they I have to get questions. to <laughs> yeah i know how so it has to get from point a to point b yeah
4: it's a As racing th- pigeon like that's a pigeon race racing flying through the air not walking flying
2: <laughs> i'm i'm just
4: stunned i'm just
2: stunned i yeah and so there's there's a kind of money in pigeon racing where yeah. someone's like yo 1.2 million that's right. dollars that's right for the
4: yeah Armando
2: he's not getting that money
4: <laughs> no it's just
2: like the NCAA
1: it is
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's <laughs> literally getting break rooms. I hope they bought him like a really
1: fancy statue to sit on.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too um speaking of statues neither of you both of you will get a statue sorry oh. um here it is I'm 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 handing you the statue right now oh it's oh. so glistening yes it's exactly. entirely conceptual exactly mm. um um, thank you so much for playing who said that Thanks um, for having us. um yeah. that con- <laughs> congrats to both of you now it's time to end the show as we do every week we ask listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week i always end up having a little happy cry and i encourage you to get into it as well boys let's get
3: vulnerable let's listen This is Audrey. I am a former Texan who now lives in Anchorage, Alaska. It is a beautiful day here, and the best thing that happened to me this week was getting to go to the grand opening of our very first Raising Canes and sharing the most perfect chicken on the planet with some really good friends. Um, That's it.
5: This is Abby from Cleveland, Ohio. The best thing
3: that happened to me this week is my boyfriend
5: came from Memphis, Tennessee to visit me for my birthday.
4: This is Sean from Atlanta, Georgia.
3: The best thing that happened to me this week was finding out that my wife Lindsay is finally pregnant with our first baby. The best thing that happened to me this week is I got to see my parents meet their first grandson for the first time. My best thing was finally getting out of the winter cold. I was walking and hiking and it was so nice to finally shake off some of this winter blues. The best thing that happened to me this week was having two rehearsals with the Atlanta Women's Chorus as we get ready for our concert this coming Saturday.
4: This is Loretta, and the best thing that happened to me this week was flying to Phoenix with my brother to visit our sister and her family, and four days of sunshine, playing with the kids, getting in the pool, playing laser tag, and just having a really great time.
3: This is Emily from Omaha, Nebraska. In the last week, Nebraska has been absolutely pummeled by natural disaster. But I've been so inspired by the resilience and generosity I've seen from my fellow citizens. It would mean a lot to up so many of us to know that you and others are with us in solidarity. Thanks for listening. Yeah,
4: historic flooding in the Midwest. Shout out to the Midwest. Shout out to Nebraska. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a really tough week. But yes, we are thinking of you. We are sending you all of our solidarity. Um, Thank you to all the listeners that you just heard, Audrey, Abby, Sean, Kaylee, Danielle, Allison, Loretta, and Emily. If you want to hear your best thing on the show next week, just record yourself and share it with us at any time. Email your audio file to samsanders at npr.org. That's samsanders at npr.org. I'm told we have one more best thing to share, but I don't know what it is.
0: My best part of the week was hearing Auntie Julia on the radio. Oh my god! Oh
4: my god.
3: Your face right now? <laughs> oh my god! Who was that? I don't know! <laughs>
2: you don't know this niece or nephew of yours?
4: Wow, I don't know, man. I have a lot of. I'm an auntie to a lot <laughs> of people. Oh my god. Okay. We're going out on Lizzo's Juice because her new song, Tempo, which she released with Missy Elliott this week, is just too dirty. But this song is great. Juice is great. Thank you so much to my guests this week, Gene Demby, co-pilot of The Ship, known as Code Switch, and Arnie Seipel, NPR Politics Editor. Thank you so much for hanging out with me.
1: Thanks for having us. Appreciate you.
4: It's Been a Minute was produced this week by Brent Bachman, Unjali Sastry. Our editors are Alex McCall and Jordana Hochman. Steve Nelson is our director of programming and the senior vice president of programming who has great shoes is Anya Grundman. Sam is back with you next week, starting Tuesday. That episode is with comedian Mo Amer. It has been such a true joy getting to fill in this week while he was away. I'm Julia Furlan. Thank you so much for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR.
2: This is my voice. It can tell you a lot about me. And I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths,
5: wherever you get your podcasts.